This is an email from my colleague, Monica, and Monica says, as I continue to prep for next year, I have a question about how to prepare and practice concepts. About how many songs a month or even a quarter do you aim to use per grade? I plan very intuitively, but I'd like to streamline my work a little to be more focused. I have a fun classroom, but sometimes the concepts are so buried or I forget about them and move on to something new too quickly. Right now I'm experimenting a lot with many ideas combining art and music. First, I am very intrigued about this intentional focus on the connection between art and music. I think that is something that is perhaps underexplored, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, um, an underexplored area of connection that we have to other disciplines. And every time we have an opportunity to kind of marry those two schools of thought, those two um, avenues of artistic expression, I think it's very rewarding for for us as creators and our students as creators. So that's an aside there. Another thing that I really appreciate about this question in this email is the relationship between planning intuitively and also wanting to streamline. And that's kind of a line that I definitely feel myself walking. And I know when I talk to other colleagues, uh, it, this is a sense that many of us have. I want this planning process to make sense on an intuitive level. And I want it to still be creative and artistic and magical. But at the same time, I recognize that because we are in an educational setting and not solely a musical playground, we are going to need to have some parameters such as national standards or uh, intentionally moving from the known to the unknown and intentionally showing the growth that students have had in their content knowledge. So I want to just recognize and validate this tension that we can sometimes feel in Monica's words between intuition and streamlined planning. I think that what we find when we plan well, when we plan with intention, we find that in that opposition, there is balance. In the opposition between intuition and streamlined planning, we find a balanced approach that we wouldn't have if we were not thinking critically about these two options for planning. You know, not plan at all and just let the kids decide everything. And when they show up, we're just going to have a great time. That is a very intuitive way to do it. And But then a streamlined way, if you only think about streamlined, that means you are totally ignoring the students and you're going to take out all of the fun and all of the magic and all of the student response in the classroom. So in the opposition of these two ideas, that is where we find balance, or at least that's the idea. Let's talk about the very practical application of this tension that Monica is asking, which is just very simply, hey, how many songs do you think I could be using each month or each quarter? And this is a question about how we are going to break up our year. And there are certainly many ways to slice this pie of September through June or whatever your school year is. There are lots of ways that we could organize this. There is not one correct answer. We can definitely cut things up in a quarterly pie and view it kind of that way. We could also break it up into a monthly pie, right? Like these are the songs for August. These are the songs for September. And think about it like that. 
Another option that we could take, though, is not starting necessarily with the month or the quarter or the trimester or the semester, uh, but starting with the musical concept itself. And that's what I want to talk about today. This option of instead of making it a timeline event, a duration event, we are making it a content event by looking at musical concepts. And then once we have the concepts figured out and the songs that we will use for a concept, then we can kind of plot our way along a scope and sequence for a year. So when it's time to choose songs by concept, there are a couple things. Um, well, let me back up. When I say choose a song by concept, what I mean is choosing songs with the purpose of achieving a melodic understanding or a song that is going to lend itself well to students exploring a rhythmic understanding. And depending on the sequence that you are using, that might be uh, songs to really highlight the relationship between high and low or songs to really highlight a specific melodic pattern, such as mi, re, do. That's what I'm talking about when I say choosing songs by concept. When we choose songs by concept, we are definitely thinking about songs for so me, la, for example, but what we are actually doing is we are providing the musical context for the classroom. The repertoire is the context for the music room. And so when we choose repertoire or we choose selections that students will choose from, uh, when we create those parameters, we are creating the musical concept, context. And that makes this one of the most important jobs that we get to think through and imagine and anticipate before the year begins. So it's a really fun job and it's a very important job. So when we provide the context through the repertoire, we are going to present it to students and then we watch students interact with the repertoire and that provides the pacing. We can still make, um, we can still make educated guesses based on our pedagogical knowledge of child development and our experience with these students in the past and all of these things. We can make some very clear guesses, but we are not going to take out the role of students and student observation and student input in the repertoire process. So again, this is an area where I see the tension between, again, I'm going to go back to Monica's words because I think she put it really well, she articulated it well, of intuition and streamlined planning. We are going to streamline by choosing the repertoire ourselves or choosing a list that students can uh, choose from. But then there is intuition because the students are still very much a part of it. The students are going to provide the pacing. And an even better way to say it is we are going to streamline our planning, but then we watch the students and they will tell us if our guess is correct. We are still writing the map for our road trip, our long range plans that we are going to use to map out our journey throughout the year with students. So let's talk about a curriculum planning process. And this is something that I go into a lot more detail about in some other areas. Um, certainly the planning binder on my website is uh, the most mm, robust <laughs> a collection of examples of the long range planning process. So that's something that you can check out if this is of interest to you. But really quickly, let's talk about a curriculum planning process because I think that this is directly tied to Monica's question about how many songs to use. 
we can definitely talk about a number, but the number will make a lot more sense and you'll be able to kind of tweak it based on your scenario if we put that number in the context of the big picture of long range planning. So when we are long range planning, we're going to start with a big dream and then a map and then a context. The big dream is the curriculum outline. This is your year at a glance. What are the concepts that every single student in each grade level are, are going to be working through? So you would say, you know, first grade, my content knowledge uh, concepts are, you know, maybe it is so and me, so me law. Maybe it is rhythm versus beat and ta and toddy. Maybe it is an ostinato. Maybe it is a B form. And then maybe it is uh, some specific pitched and unpitched percussion experiences. So you would go through and kind of map out in this big curriculum outline, what are the big musical concepts that students are working through? So that's the curriculum outline. This is like deciding, uh, I moved from Tennessee to Los Angeles area. And when I was driving, I needed to decide where I would end up. I started in the Nashville area and I knew that by the end of the drive, I wanted to be in Downey. The reason that matters is I could say, hey, I'm going to take uh, four days and just drive and see where I go. This will be so fun. And it probably would be fun. Uh, and that would be driving, doing this road trip just on intuition. Just see what happens along the journey and just enjoy the ride. Stop and smell the flowers, Victoria. That would have been really fun. But if my goal were to get to Downey, that would be a bad approach. So this big dream, this curriculum outline is like deciding that I'm going to start in the Nashville area and go to the LA area. So next we are going to make a map. We're going to map the route from point A to point B again, because of my curriculum outline, I know that I want to end up at point B. That is the streamlined planning approach to this um, analogy. <laughs> uh, so now we need a map. This is our scope and sequence. When we map the route, we decide what is the pathway that we are going to use to get from Nashville to Downey. If I want to realize this big dream, this end goal, then how many weeks can I devote to this specific musical concept? This is where we're mapping out our year. So if I, let's just go back to the, to the first grade example. If I know that by the end of the year, I want students to have a cognitive understanding and an experiential understanding with so me and law, then I need to decide how many weeks I can devote to all the concepts that are needed to lead up to that melodic understanding. So we're kind of just mapping things out. Students are still providing the pacing, right? We're still going to be paying attention to students, but we are making the map. Again, let's go back to the road trip analogy. If I were making this trip from Nashville to Downey with kids, I would say this is the route we are going to go. This is the route we are taking. But if kids in the back seat need to stop and play at a park because they're just going crazy uh, in the back seat for four days, then yes, we're going to stop and give them the time that they need. If they need to stop and get a snack, that's what we're going to do. So students are still uh, informing the pacing, but we as the educators, as the adult in charge, we are making the map. 
Okay, so we have the curriculum outline, we have a scope and sequence, that is to say, we have our destination, and then we have our map of how we are going to pace our year to get to that destination. And then those really fun stops along the way, those are like the context, those are the repertoire that we choose. And when we choose the repertoire, we are asking the question, how can we build a musical picture of this concept? And that question, the answer to that question is how many songs we need. How can we build a musical picture of all of the variations of mi re do, of all of the variations of, uh, you know, cinco pa or takadimi or ABA form? How many songs do we need to provide enough of an aural picture so that I know students have contextualized this musical concept? That is the question that we have to ask when we are choosing repertoire. And that question makes the most sense when we see it in the larger picture of this bigger curriculum planning process. And again, this is a kind of a small, really quick <laughs> run through of um, a more, mm, we could go into a lot more detail about each of these documents and how they kind of play a part in the curriculum planning process. But for Monica's question, I don't want to get too far off the rails here. So when we choose our concepts, we know how much time we have to devote to a particular musical concept because we've made that map. And then how much, uh, what repertoire can we use to build that musical concept within the parameters that we've set? So if I have, let's just say that I am going to spend, oh, I don't know, let's say six weeks on So Me Law. I have six weeks to create an aural soundscape of all the different variations of Somila, you know, Somila in 6-8, Somila loud or quiet, and then all of these experiences that I want to have, I want students to have with Somila, I need to make sure they have enough time to improvise or to read it in graphic notation or to listen to it in a different work. All of these things that we care about students having the experience of, we need to do it within the parameters that we have set. And the repertoire is the context for all of those musical decisions. So let's talk about some of those decisions while we're here. We are, again, going to tie the number of songs that we are using back to how much time per concept we have as we have mapped it out in our scope and sequence. Another question that we might have is how deep into this song are we going to go? Because there are some songs that we want to use kind of just for fun at the end of class or as like a brain break, right? Maybe it's like a really fun movement song and that is the point of it. And that's perfect. Another thing that we could do is use a song and a game. Um, Bluebird, Bluebird comes to mind. Let's use it as a game and then just a notational literacy activity where students are deriving the rhythmic and melodic patterns from the song. Okay, well, that would take a little bit more time than just using it for fun at the end of class. And then the next step of that would be to have like an extended creative project where students are in small groups and maybe they are improvising, maybe they have a movement exploration activity, maybe they have a composition that they are writing, maybe we're going to play it on barred instruments and come up with this beautiful piece in rondo form. Okay, well, if we're going to do an extended creative project, that means that we're going to be camping out on Bluebird Bluebird for a much longer time. So deciding how deep into each song we want to go is going to impact, you know, how many songs per concept we have. 
Here's the here's the easiest answer that Monica is probably asking when when she asked this question. In general, it is reasonable to have around three to five songs per concept. When I say concept, I am very specifically talking about rhythmic and melodic concepts. You can certainly have songs that you use to highlight form and texture and expression and any other musical understandings. You absolutely can. But I find that having rhythmic and melodic concepts as your pillars... Those musical understandings give students the oral training and the vocabulary that they need to talk about some of these expressive elements or some of these form or textural elements. It's very tricky to talk about form if we don't have the vocabulary to articulate what we observe about the rhythm between the A section and the B section. That's what I mean by that. And so for that reason, rhythmic and melodic concepts tend to be at least in my curriculum and many of my colleagues' curriculum, kind of the uh, pillars. And then the other musical understandings, form, texture, expression, anything else, those are kind of naturally embedded in the rhythmic and melodic conversations. So uh, in terms of specifically rhythmic and melodic concepts, somewhere between three and five is reasonable. Something to note here, though, is that you might choose to overlap a song between more than one concept. So let's jump back to first grade. Let's imagine that you are working on the rhythmic idea of rhythm versus beat and the melodic idea of a minor third or so and me. You might have uh, Pala Palita and Jack and Jill. Pala Palita, Palote, Palitroque. And... Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Both these songs have so and me. They also have a rhythm versus beat extension we could use. So those might be two songs that starting your year, you know that you're going to use Paula Palita and Jack and Jill for both rhythm versus beat and so and me. And then with rhythm versus beat, you might kind of flesh out the rest of those songs, pieces, rhymes with Epo Peppel, which is a counting out game from Sweden. You might have BB Bumblebee and then Paula Palita, Jack and Jill, and maybe a pop song that is on the radio at the time that has a nice uh, rhythm versus beat way to use it. Okay, so then that's rhythm versus beat. So in me, you can still have Jack and Jill and Paula Palita, but you might also add Que Roro Que Nene, which is a lullaby, and Ikel Akel. And then maybe for So and Me, you have a list of four songs and you let students choose that last one. So if we were to do it that way, you would have five songs for rhythm versus beat and So and Me, but notice that two of them are overlapping. If we were to take this approach to planning, then by the end of the year, our kindergartners might have around somewhere around 20 to 30 songs that they have memorized by the end of the year. When we contrast that with our fifth graders, they might have in between 15 and 25 songs or so that they have memorized and really worked with by the end of the year as well. Notice that the kindergarten songs are likely going to be a little bit higher in quantity, and that's because we're not going to be going as deep into those songs as we might in fifth grade. You know, with fifth graders, we can have a composition activity. We can do a lot of improvisation. Um, We can go very deep into these songs, and we certainly can do composition and improvisation and all of those things with kindergarten as well, but our pacing is just going to be a little bit more 
more upbeat with kindergarten as opposed to fifth grade when we can kind of camp out on a song for, you know, 10, 15 minutes at a time and really uh, do some extended work with each piece. So I hope that answer is helpful. I know it is not as cut and dry as saying that you should have seven songs a month and, you know, 23 songs in kindergarten by the end of the year. Uh, the reality is it, it truly is going to depend on the roadmap that you create for your students throughout the year. And then the pacing that you observe your students working through throughout the year. In general, it is a very reasonable expectation to have between three and five songs per concept and then shooting for something around 20 to 30 songs by the end of the year for your younger grades. And then by the end of the year, 15 to 25 songs that students like really, really know um, for upper elementary by the end of the year. This is a topic that we could spend a lot longer <laughs> talking about, but hopefully that gets us thinking about the intention behind song selection and the intention behind pacing out the year. And, you know, this is a conversation that we are going to continue to have throughout our planning, planning for your curriculum, planning your year, your long range plans. This is a circular process. This is not linear, which is where my analogy of the map breaks down. Um, but we are going to start thinking about this balance, the, the balance and the opposition between planning intuitively and planning in a streamlined way. Having repertoire that is playful, that is open-ended for lots of creative opportunities, lots of musical context, musical concept, musical content knowledge, understandings, having those as creative prompts for our students. That is where a lot of this intuition comes into play in terms of moment by moment in the classroom. But then our long range plans, when we streamline those, we can sleep easy knowing that students are intentionally working through a progression of concepts and skills that are going to develop them as musicians and as learners and ultimately as people. If you listen to this podcast, you and I are colleagues. And so, just so that we both know you have heard a colleague say this today, I believe that you are a good music teacher. The work you do is valuable. You make an impact in your students' lives. Your students are better off because you are their elementary general music teacher. So whatever this week brings, may you approach it with energy and empathy and know that you have a support system behind you and you are not alone.